into Acts because, good Lord willing, we're going to finish Acts out within the next two months. And we are in Acts chapter 24. Just so you remember where we are, let me just briefly wrap up where we've been on Acts. You remember our dear brother Paul decided that he would take up an offering for the poor people, the poor saints in Jerusalem who had been suffering famines, hardship, poverty. And so as he traveled through the churches in Asia, he had collected money to deliver to the saints in Jerusalem. And so he goes down to Jerusalem, or as I should say, he goes up to Jerusalem, and delivers this offering to the Jerusalem church, and they, they gladly receive him. But as always happens, well, not everybody was glad to see him. And some of the brothers said, you know, Brother Paul, I'm paraphrasing, you won't find this in any edition in the Bible. <laughs> this is kind of the New Jersey edition. <laughs> you know, Brother Paul, a lot of the Jews here think that you've abandoned Judaism and that you're no longer a good Jew. And that's caused a split here in our church about you. They talk about you. You need to do something to demonstrate to them that you're really a good Jew. And we have the perfect thing that you should do. Four of our brothers are taking a purification vow. It's called the Nazarite vow. And they're taking it at the temple. Why don't you pay for them? Because obviously, and I don't really understand why, but there was obviously some monetary charge in taking this purification vow. You had to pay. Why don't you pay for them and you go with them and take it yourself? That way, that will demonstrate to everyone, demonstrate to everyone that you're a good Jew. And that'll unify the church. And Paul, we know one thing about Paul. He always tried to promote unity wherever he was. He tried to promote unity. And he speaks about that. And so he goes. And then there's a, another proverb that applies to what happens next that you won't find in the Bible. It's kind of a people that don't go to church kind of a proverb, which is no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. You've heard that. Well, of course, there he is in the temple, paying for their vows, going through it all, going through the five days of the vow. And finally, at the end, what happens? Some Jews that were not part of his circle, some Jews had, which had known him, from Ephesus, saw him there and assumed that these people he, he was with were Gentiles and that he had brought Gentiles inside the inner courtyard of the temple, which was a serious offense. And they immediately started a riot. He wasn't doing anything other than just worshiping, but they started a riot. Well, as the riot ensued, the Roman guard had to come out he had to be rescued because they just weren't about to create a fuss. They were going to kill him. And that's what you're going to see here. They wanted him dead. So the Roman guard rescues him, but he then appears first in a trial before the Roman commander, Lysias. The Roman commander concludes at the end of hearing this, this isn't any Roman law that's been broken. This is a Jewish thing. I'm going to ship this off to the Sanhedrin. Let the Sanhedrin decide this issue. All right, the Sanhedrin's called, and they conclude, and they start a hearing on this. And as you remember, and this is important to remember for this lesson, the Sanhedrin, all right, includes the high priest Ananias, who is a Sadducee. 
uh, much of the rest of the Sanhedrin is composed of Pharisees. Remember the important distinction between Sadducee and Pharisee. Sadducees only believed the first five books of the Bible. They did not believe the prophets. The Pharisees believed the entire scripture. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. It's interesting because we don't hear our Jewish brethren talk too much about that. But the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. They did not. So now in this hearing, when they bring him up, they're basically bringing him up because they're going to charge him with uh, promoting a riot and with blasphemy effectively in the temple. In his defense, and it, I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit, but it was also the Holy Spirit in conjunction with his brilliance, he says, Paul, in his defense in the Sadducee, you know, brothers, I did nothing wrong. I believe in the law of our fathers, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Boom. It's like a bomb is dropped. The resurrection of the dead. Pharisees go, how can a man who believes in the resurrection of the dead be on charge here? It's blasphemy. The Sadducees go, we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's nonsense to us. And now a fight ensues in the Sanhedrin amongst themselves. Amongst themselves to such an extent that the Roman guard has to be called out again. Somebody said that wherever Paul appeared in the world, two things happened. Either a revival or a riot. <laughs> it's true. They rescue him. And now, as he's in the Roman guard being guarded, that night his nephew, Paul's nephew, hears of a conspiracy. It hears, he hears that there's a group of Jews who have conspired to murder Paul on his way back to the Sanhedrin in the next morning. They will murder him, and the high priest has confirmed that conspiracy. Can you imagine? These are people who are supposedly the guardians of the Jewish faith, the holiest of the holy, the leaders of, of Judaism, conspiring and being part of a murder conspiracy. And so what happened? The Roman commander in the middle of the night spirited Paul away, took him away with, I think it was 300 soldiers. Imagine, 300 soldiers to Caesarea, which is 30 miles away, to protect him. 300 hundred soldiers. You understand the nature of where we are. So now we tip off Acts chapter 24. Ready? Verse 1. Five days later. Five days later meaning five days after he got to Caesarea. The high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and put a mark there. A lawyer. <laughs> it never fails. We never get mentioned much in the Bible, but every once when we are, it's not very good. A lawyer. Tertullus. Now you say, why did they bring a lawyer? What is this about? Well, they brought a lawyer because they had to navigate Roman law. Roman law was complicated. They wanted a conviction. So they weren't satisfied to go down themselves. They wanted a, 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 a lawyer who knew Roman law well, who would be able to navigate it, and they bring Tertullus. And they brought the charges against Paul before the governor, the governor being uh, Felix. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. And what he then does is 
about five minutes of nothing but flattery. Just flattery. Flat out flattery. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. <laughs> oh, great Felix. I can hear him saying that. And your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Yes, it was such a peaceful place that Paul had to be protected with 300 soldiers in the middle of the night. You got an idea of just how much anger there was just boiling underneath the scene here uh, in this Roman province. And so he continues, everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. He hasn't said a word yet about the hearing. Not a word. All it is is flattery. And we're going to see, you're gonna, we're going to juxtapose the way he speaks, the way he speaks to Felix as the way, as opposed to the way that Paul speaks to Felix. Because Paul does not use flattery, and he's going to talk about this. Uh, and in fact, if you have your Bible in front of you, turn if you would, because it's important, to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. And this is a point that I want to make to you because here he is. Paul is on trial for his life. He will not use flattery. He will, he will basically defend himself without using flattery even though Tertullus has just buttered up Felix with all kinds of flattery. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. This is Paul now speaking to the Thessalonian church. It's important because you'll see how Christians should act. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men. But God, who tests our heart, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. You want to see how a Christian lives? I'm not looking for praise from men. I'm not going to butter you up with flattery. I'm not going to insult you, but I'm not going to say things that are not true. I'm not looking for praise. I'm looking for God. And here he is, and you're going to see that in his subsequent conduct here when his life is on the line. And so now let's take a look at the charges that they make against him. What are the charges? Well, the charges begin in verse 5. We have found this man to be a troublemaker. Circle troublemaker. Stirring up riots. Circle riots. Among the Jews all over the world. Well, wait a minute. Riots all over the world. What are we talking about? This was an incident down at the synagogue. You have witnesses here? You have witnesses that are going to testify against Paul? This is a Roman hearing. You can't put evidence in without witnesses. He didn't have any witnesses. It's hearsay. Hearsay is inadmissible. 
And so he's talking about these things that went on in the other parts of the world, yet he doesn't bring in any testimony. You will not, you'll not see any testimony relating to that. He is a ringleader, circle that, of the Nazarene sect. Circle that. That's important. Because what's going on here is he, that is an admission that Christianity is not necessarily a separate religion as they viewed it, but a sect of Judaism. That would be important because that meant that Rome would consider Christianity not a separate religion. If it were a separate religion, it would have been prohibited. Okay? Because Rome would not allow any additional uh, religions. Judaism was, per was permitted for a while, then that ed ended. Christianity was permitted as, for a while because it was considered a sect of Judaism, and that's effectively the admission there, but that also would end at some time. And so what you see here is the prosecution effectively setting up the charges. So what are they charging with? Effectively, they're charging him with sedition, causing riots. Then they're, cause, then they're saying, as a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, he tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. Now, I told you that, that a, a temple desecration would be taking Gentiles into the inner courtyard. That would be a desecration. Well, of course, he didn't do that. There was no, there was no proof that he did it, because he didn't do it. He effectively did nothing that he was being charged with. And so he says here, by examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about these charges which we are bringing against him. Now... This is not the first time that Christians would be charged effectively as fomenting riots and being troublemakers. Turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Jesus is on trial before Pilate. Look at the charges that they basically charged Jesus with. Luke chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. Jesus they're speaking of. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, false, as you know, and claims to be Christ, a king. Verse, now I want you to turn to verse 5. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. In other words, he stirs up the people. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is involved. The people are stirred up. That's exactly what happens. And so what was going on here is the, the religious institution of Judaism sees this, saw it in Jesus, and in fact sees it also uh, in Paul and Barnabas. Just to show you that the same charge is reiterated, take if you would, look to Acts chapter 16. And this is, this is Paul and Barnabas being charged. When you get an you understanding of what they were really upset about, well, they were upset about the fact that when people would hear their teachings, it would change the way they thought. Acts chapter 16, verse 20. This is speaking about Paul and Barnabas. 
they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Okay? Now you get a sense of how, how these charges come about and, and uh, what, what their complaint is about Paul. So then, the, then, in verse 10, when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, and now you're going to hear his defense. That's their case, his defense. I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. That's it. No flattery. I know you've been the judge. I'm glad you're going to hear the case. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. Can you imagine that all this has happened in a period of 12 days? He went to Jerusalem to give the offering. He then went and did the purification ceremony at the temple. Following that, he was tried before Lysias. Following that, he was tried before the Sanhedrin. Then he was taken away to Caesarea, and now he's in this trial. Three trials, two riots in 12 days. Let me ask you a question. You think you're having a tough day? You think you're having a tough day? Here's the lesson. You're going to hear in this story how Paul, at the end of this testimony, in which there is no proof, is not released. At the end of this hearing, in which there's not a scintilla of evidence against him, and in which if it were a normal Roman trial, a motion would have been made to dismiss the charges, and normally charges would have been dismissed. You're not going to hear that. Instead, what you're going to hear is that Felix, because he's trying to uh, ingratiate himself with the Jews, is going to keep Paul there in shackles, shackled to a Roman soldier for two years, waiting for additional evidence, or really waiting for another Roman governor to come in and hand it off to him. And now you never hear Paul complain. You never hear him say, Lord, what is it? You called me to preach to Gentiles. How can I preach to Gentiles when I'm shackled to this Roman centurion? You've given me this great gift to preach and to speak and to write. How can I do that when I'm here stuck in Caesarea, shackled to this centurion for two years? But let me ask you something. What do you think the message would be that he delivered to those centurions he was shackled to. Can you imagine being handcuffed to Paul for six hours? <laughs> Can you imagine the electricity that must have come through those handcuffs? Can you imagine? Do you think there were centurions who became saved? Oh, there's no question about it. Do you think that there were people in that court that were saved because he was there right there in the Roman palace? You could bet that it was. And so you see what happens, how God puts you in places that you would not possibly imagine. That you would say, according to your human mind, makes no sense. This can't be God's will. I can't suffer from this illness. I can't suffer from financial catastrophe. I can't be in this position. This can't be God's will. This can't be something that's part of my life. And yet God puts you in these very places that you would never possibly dream about because he's called you to be there in that spot. Amen? Amen? This is an important principle for us to remember. You know, remember the first 12 guys. 
How'd it go for them? It wasn't a smooth road. And we're all in the same, we're all human. And so we all come to some point where we complain. Oh God, why this? Why do you do this? Why do you put me through this? The financial, the bankruptcy, the issues, my family, all this, my health. And we don't understand that he holds us in the palm of his hand. And just as he said to Paul, like I'm just imagining that Paul must have prayed every night, God, why are you doing this to me? Have faith, brother. You will serve me right where I call you. You will have faith right there. You will, call, you will be called and do his will. And so he did. And so he goes on and he makes his defense here. And he says, you can verify that I came here no more than 12 days ago. I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. No proof. However, here's an admission. I will admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. He worships the God of our fathers? Yes, I'm a Jew. I believe in the law. I believe in the Ten Commandments. I believe in the Torah. I believe in the prophets. But I also believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It doesn't make me a, a non-Jew. It makes me a fulfilled Jew. A fulfilled Jew. A complete Jew. Uh, a follower of their way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law. Okay? Everything that agrees with the law, the law capitalized, meaning the Jewish Mosaic law which they call a sect. And he's now reaffirming that. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be, and this is important, a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. He's setting it up again. He's setting it up again. He's saying to Felix, I believe, Felix, in the law. I'm as Jewish as they are. By the way, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Some of them do not. That's not written there, but that's implied. And you'll see that later as we, as we come to the, to the end of this. And so, moving on, it says, uh, I want to get to the heart of this so I can get this in before we leave. <clears throat> and he says in verse 20, or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, verse 21, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. In other words, I'm on trial for you today because I mentioned that they're hearing that I believed in the resurrection of the dead. That's why. That's what the distinction is between me and them. And that's really what's caused me to do this. It was brilliant that he did that. Well, it says Felix, who was well acquainted with the day, with the way. How was he well acquainted with the way? Because his wife was Drusilla. Okay? Was his third wife. These people were, you know, they reinvented their own morality. Okay? This was his third wife. And Drusilla came from a long line of... of very, very quality people. Her uh, grandfather was Herod the Great. You know what Herod did in trying to kill all the infants under two years old. All right? Her uh, uncle 
killed the apostle James. Uh, her father uh, killed John the Baptist. Uh, and so clearly, clearly, uh, this was a bad DNA branch. This was, this was, this was, these, these people were, were not good people. And so, so in making this pitch, in making this pitch, Felix understood what it was about. Uh, and, um, and so he decides, I'm going to hold you here. I'm going to adjourn these proceedings. I want Lysias to come. And by the way, Lysias will never come. I want Lysias to come. And I'm going to adjourn these proceedings. And it was, well, all it was, was a smokescreen for a guy who didn't want to do anything. He would wait the two years and do nothing until a new Roman governor uh, is appointed. And I just want to take two more minutes to finish this chapter. But several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. He wanted to hear, what is this about Christ Jesus? How is it that a guy who can be persecuted like this, who can be in handcuffs, how can a man like this, I want to hear what he has to say. And I'm sure Drusilla gave him an earful. And she probably wanted to hear also. And we hear, we see here in this, in this uh, section, Paul discoursed on what? Paul talked about Christ Jesus. He talked about, in verse uh, 24, 25, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. You like that? You think, you think this man had the courage to take right to the Roman governor and said, here's your problem. Sin. Sin. Righteousness. Sin. You're a sinner. You lived an awful life. You need repentance. Number one. Number two. That's, that's what's gone on before. Now, self-control. As you move forward, you need to exercise self-control in how you live. You people are awful in the way you live. As you accept Jesus, you have to change the way you live. And why? The judgment to come. There's a judgment, brother Felix. You're not, you know, you may not believe me, but I can tell you there's a judgment to come. Jesus is going to come, and when you die, there's a resurrection for both the good and the evil. And there's going to be a day of judgment. Oh, so what did Felix say? Was he impressed? Felix, did Felix say, this is tremendous? I'm really glad you spoke to me, brother Paul. My, my heart has changed. Verse uh, 20, uh, 25 there. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. He was afraid. You see, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit touches somebody's heart. There's an appointment, a destiny, an eternity, salvation. It's not always available. It comes. The opportunity comes. Holy Spirit touches people. The heart is pricked. That's the chance that people have to accept Jesus. If you walk away, there's no guarantee you will have another chance. And this brother here walked away and kept Paul there for two whole years, basically soliciting bribes. Okay? Sad. Sad to say, but that's exactly what happens. And next week, we will see trial number two come up as our brother comes up before Festus. Yes, sister. Come on up, Louis. He was trying to keep the, the Jews under control by showing them, I'm very sensitive to your issues. You're, I'm your pal. I'm concerned about you. And 
you need time to bring more evidence in. You see? So that's what he was doing. He was playing that game. Can we just give our brother...